It's a joy to be with everyone this morning, to be able to worship our God together. Appreciate those who are visiting. We want you to know what an encouragement you've been to us, and we are certainly thankful that you're here to worship God with us. You remember last Sunday, it was announced that the elders put Scott before the congregation to be considered to be appointed as an elder, believe that he is a qualified man. I will say I do as well. And they spoke about how we'll have a couple of weeks and, and Lord willing, next Sunday, uh, if all goes well throughout the rest of the time we have, that he will be officially put forward as an elder of the congregation. So hopefully you've been praying about that. Hopefully you've been thinking about that and studying about that. And I do want to encourage you, and I know that Scott would do the same, that if you have any kind of questions or concerns, whatever it may be, to go to him and ask him about that. I think that as a man is spiritually minded and is thought to be qualified as an elder, that man will very well be humble before anyone asking anything about him. I think that Scott has that character. He'd love to talk to you about that. He wants to serve this congregation and he wants to do God's will. And so make sure that you do that. Make sure that you voice any of those questions or concerns. And make sure that you're thinking about it within the confines of the will of God. And so the elders have seen it fit for us to have a study of this today. We'll have it in this lesson and in the next. So that we can be thinking about those things and have a, an understanding of the qualifications of an elder. But I think that it's extremely important for us to have an understanding of the office, of the work of an elder, so that we can have a clarity about those qualifications and what they're for. And in such a time as this, it's extremely important for us to be serious, to be thoughtful about the Word of God and the will of God, not to add to the Bible, but not to take away from the Bible, to make sure that the man is indeed qualified, not lacking in any area that God would require him to possess to be an elder and to serve in that capacity. So it's a very serious thing. It's a sobering thing. But it is not a time for any kind of strife or envy or bitterness or division, but is a time of rejoicing. It's a very positive thing when a congregation can take a spiritual step forward and appoint elders, period, and certainly add to the eldership with qualified men who are righteous and holy, who love God and His truth, who have proven themselves through being qualified according to the qualifications we'll look at in the next hour, and to therefore shepherd the flock and contribute to the spiritual success and health of a congregation. So keep all of that in mind as we progress forward, that God's will is performed and that He would be glorified and that this congregation would be even further fit to serve God and to continue in the capacity which he's called us to. In Acts 14 and verse 23, in Paul's first missionary journey, Luke records that when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. In Titus chapter 1 and in verse 5, before I go any further, uh, you know how I preach and how, how, how much is in these lessons. This certainly... Um, with just these two lessons, we'll potentially be moving fast-paced. So I have my outline, and I will certainly put it up on the website. You'll have that available. So if you have a struggle in writing down notes, just uh, try to listen and uh, work through this, and you'll have that at your disposal. But in Titus 1 and verse 5, Paul writes to Titus and says, 
For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. You don't have to read much about the New Testament to see that elders are within the will of God. That God in eternity and devising the plans for His church saw it fit to have certain men with certain characteristics and qualities put in place to be leaders of local congregations. In fact, you notice there in Titus 1 and verse 5 that he told Titus, I want you to set in order the things that are lacking. And what was lacking was elders being appointed in these churches. And so it's very clear that a church without elders is lacking. We'll notice that they may be lacking elders and be scriptural because they are without qualified men. Fortunately, that is not the case for this congregation. We have qualified men and we have another qualified man that is being put forward. But a congregation needs elders. God saw it fit for the spiritual well-being of His people to have mature, spiritually minded, holy, proven, righteous men that can oversee the flock, point the people in the right direction, teach, protect, and feed spiritually the flock of God. And so when we're thinking about appointing men to the eldership, we need to consider and understand the importance of God's pattern, appreciate it, thank God for it, pray about it, understand the work and why it's so important. Why is it so important that there be men serving in this capacity? And therefore, to understand in light of the context and understanding of the work specifically, what those qualifications are, what they entail, and why they are listed as qualifications, and then understand our relationship as members of the church to them. Peter addressed his audience in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1, and he addressed the elders who were among you, among the people, the Christians to whom he was writing. We want to consider that this morning. I want us to first and briefly in this period think about the fact that this is according to the pattern of Jehovah. In Hebrews 8 and verse 4, you'll remember in the the efforts of the Hebrew writer by inspiration to demonstrate the betterment of the new covenant and the fact that Jesus is better than the priesthood of Levi under the old covenant. He demonstrates in Hebrews 8 and verse 4, For if he, that is Jesus, were on earth, he would not be a priest. And this is the reason for it. Since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mount. The Hebrew writer's point is that Jesus couldn't be a priest on earth because that was a copy and shadow of the true thing to come. And it was the priesthood according to the tribe of Levi. He said in chapter 7 that God spoke nothing about a priest coming out of the tribe of Judah. His point is that Moses was making a mere copy and shadow of the true. Jesus serves in the true. But the thing I want to stress in verse 5 is that it was exactly according to the pattern shown him. And so specifically what God showed him in part is that these priests must come from the tribe of Levi. So Jesus couldn't serve as a high priest there. Particularly because he serves in a better priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek, which is for another study. 
Here's the point. We make all things according to the pattern. When God shows us in the New Testament how He wants His church to be, we cannot in any way, shape, or form deviate from it. This is the only successful way. This is the only way that brings God glory. He told uh, Timothy, Paul did, that is, in 2 Timothy 1.13, to hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me. This is His church. This is Christ's church. And so we make it, we function in it according to how He dictates. In Matthew 16 and verse 18, you remember to Peter and the other apostles, He said, I pray, I say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Upon his confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church. He is the builder. He is the builder. In Acts chapter 20 and in verse 28, a text we'll visit in regard specifically to the eldership in a moment. He says, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. He built the church. He purchased the church. He owns the church and has dictated what the church looks like. In Ephesians 1 and in verse 22, the Holy Spirit says that He put all things under His feet and gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body. He is the builder, the purchaser, and the head. That tells us He's the authority. All authority, Matthew 28, verse 18, has been given to Him in heaven and on earth. And so we don't get to make an organization or structure according to our own wisdom or our own likes or our own opinions. He must dictate exactly what we look like as a local congregation. That's important. And you'd be interested to note in Ephesians chapter 4, after saying that He is the head of the church, that when He ascended on high, verse 8, He led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, I want us to notice what those gifts are in verse 11. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and pastors and teachers. Pastors there, as we'll notice in a moment, is one and the same as an elder, is one and the same as an overseer. There are three names given to this office, but suffice it to say that Jesus is head, And He saw it fit in His eternal wisdom to set pastors over the church for the edification of the church and the perpetuation of His Father's will. Within that is the understanding that the government of the church, the organization of the church, is on the local level. The only universal government is Christ as King and the citizens, individuals. Not not multiple churches comprise the universal church, but individuals comprise the universal church. The king and his citizens, that's the only universal organization. But God did see it fit to have a, an organization, a structure, an office of men who had authority, who would lead certain congregations of their locale in the way of the Lord. We see the local structure in Romans 16 and verse 16, where the Apostle Paul says, churches of Christ greet you in the plural sense. There is one body, but he speaks of churches because of the plurality of groups of believers within local areas. And I want us to notice how that structure was in a local congregation. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul writes to the Philippians saying, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. That's another word, overseers, episkopos. And so the organization in a local church is bishops, 
deacons, which we'll have another study of that, Lord willing, sometime in the future after this. But bishops, deacons, and then the rest of the members. That's the organization. There's not a single pastor system. There's not a board of directors. There's not a Church of Christ convention like the Southern Baptist Church has. There is individual autonomous congregations with bishops and deacons. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 5, when he speaks about the elders, he says, shepherd in verse 2, 1 Peter 5, the flock of God which is among you. That speaks of locality, autonomy. And so the shepherds here are shepherds of the 84th Street group, not of the Mustang group, not of the Tri-City group, not of the Seminole Point group, not of any other group. They're, they're shepherds, overseers of only this group. And I want us to notice something there in verse 4. Autonomy does not equate to freedom to do whatever we please. The elders don't make the rules here. They enforce the rules here. And so if another congregation strays from Christ's commandments, they have the ability to keep this congregation on the straight and narrow path. That's autonomy. That's the whole point of self-government. But notice in verse 4, he says, When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. That is a compound word, archipoimen, a head shepherd. The analytical lexicon of the Greek New Testament says, literally as one who directs other shepherds, uh, the chief shepherd, metaphorically, of Christ as in charge of leaders of Christian communities. James 4 and verse 12 says, there's only one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. And so while there is autonomy, and they don't answer to other elderships and other congregations don't answer to them, they answer to the chief shepherd. And so it is not the shepherd's uh, role to make the laws, but to enforce them. I want us to notice there in 1 Timothy chapter 3, when the Apostle Paul writes about how he intended to write to Timothy to show him how he would conduct himself in the church of God, which is the pillar and ground of the truth, that that is in the very context of the qualifications of elders and the qualifications of deacons in the first 13 verses. And so in order to properly conduct ourselves in the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood, which he built, which he is head of, there must be elders and deacons that are certainly qualified. And so it is certainly according to his will, which is why they appointed elders in every church, Acts 14, 23. That's why he told Titus, said, in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city, whatever we do in word or deed must be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, Colossians 3 and verse 17. And if we have qualified men, it is our responsibility and obligation to acknowledge them as such. And if they have the desire to serve in this capacity, to acknowledge that and appoint them so that they can fulfill what God wants them to fulfill. With that being said, I want us to notice very briefly that there are four possible forms of organization. When we have the understanding that God wants elders in every church and He has shown the qualifications of those elders, there stands four possibilities for us. You can be scripturally organized, like Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, with the bishops and the deacons. That is a congregation with a plurality of men who meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy chapter 3 and of Titus chapter 1. They are scripturally organized. This is the way that God intended it to be. But we are by no means to step outside of the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and appoint men who don't meet those qualifications. 
And so it is very possible as a congregation is seeking to only do the Lord's will for them to be unorganized in a scriptural way. They do not have elders. They are lacking, Titus 1 and verse 5 indicates. But they are not going to allow the end to justify the means and contradict God's will to appoint men who are not qualified. That would cause far more harm than good. He says that these bishops must be. And in Titus 1 and verse 6, if a man is this, then he is qualified. And they recognize that pattern, aspire to have elders, but won't compromise to get them. Or you could have an unscripturally organized church who they recognize the importance and need of elders, but they don't have any qualified men, but they think the end justifies the means. So we're going to go ahead and appoint some men who aren't qualified yet so that we can have elders. And a lot of people justify this thinking that, well, they're not qualified, but they'll grow into it. And so kind of a qualification by trial, but that is not what the qualifications stand for, as we'll see. And then there are congregations that are unscripturally unorganized where they have qualified men, but they don't want to appoint them. I'm sure that you have come across some people or congregations that have had a very negative view of appointing elders. Maybe they've had a bad experience of one who lorded it over the flock or an unqualified man who caused so much harm. And so even though they have qualified men, they're better off holding on to their power, is some of the reasons people refuse, and to not appoint elders. Well, that would be to be unscripturally unorganized and defiant toward God's will and rebellious toward His standard and His pattern. And so ultimately, as we stand right now, we are scripturally organized. And as we believe that Scott is a qualified man, we are going to acknowledge in his willingness and desire to serve in the capacity of bishop to appoint him to add to the strength of this congregation, the oversight, the shepherding, and the wisdom that guides us but we do not want to be scripturally or unscripturally organized. And so that's our duty to think about these qualifications, to make sure we understand them, and to, without bias or opinion, make sure we see that a man is certainly qualified. But I think that in order to comprehend and appreciate these qualifications, we need to comprehend and appreciate and praise God for and thank God for the work that these men are given to that God has set these men up to perform. And we see that by their titles. Their titles are not just meaningless. These titles that show what the office is demonstrate by their very meaning and within the context of their descriptions, the function of an elder or an overseer, bishop or a shepherd or pastor. And we would do well to think about that and find appreciation for it. I want us to notice in 1 Peter chapter 5 that there are three descriptions, three titles, three names, three appellations given to the men who would serve in this capacity and in this office. He first says, the elders who are among you, I exhort. There's the first title. He says, I am a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. And he tells them to shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. That's a verb, but it corresponds to the noun archipoimen and chief shepherd, which is simply saying that this man or this this divine being, Jesus, is the chief of the shepherds. And so there's a verb form there in verse 2, but it certainly corresponds to the noun, a shepherd. He is shepherding. 
And so there's elders, there's shepherds. And then he says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, so on and so forth. Overseers is the third name or title that is given. We can see the same connections made in Acts, the 20th chapter. I want us to notice in Acts chapter 20 and in verse 17, when the apostle Paul calls for the Ephesian elders, For the last time he's going to talk to them and will not see their face anymore. And he's going to exhort them to shepherd the flock in the way that God calls them to and to be the leaders God calls them to. It says in verse 17 of Acts 20 from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. There's that first title. I want us to notice in verse 28, the apostle Paul says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, elders, overseers. And then notice there in verse 28 again in the verb form, shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. You have elders, you have overseers, and you have shepherds, which in these two contexts obviously are referring to the same office. There are different descriptions. And so we can appreciate that because while they're referring to the same work, the same position, and the same office, they are giving us a more comprehensive consideration of what the work is, what it entails, and how important it is, and why in His wisdom God determined to set up elders in every single church. And so we want to consider that in a little further detail for this less, less, this first lesson. And then we'll get into some other stuff, Lord willing, in the third hour. But consider firstly the title of elder. It is the Greek word presbyteros, and it's actually an adjective. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14, we'll notice a noun is used. But when he speaks about the elders who are among you in 1 Peter chapter 5, or he called for the elders in Acts chapter 20 and verse 17, it's actually a descriptive word. It's an adjective. It's describing something about these particular individuals. And though this might not sit well with Scott. It means you're older. It means you're an older man. But there's great value to that and importance in that. Throughout Scripture, we see the value and importance of one who is older. There's experience there. There's wisdom there. There's knowledge there. There's ability there that would not be found present in a younger individual. And so Vine describes or defines presbruteros, that adjective, as the comparative degree of presbus. That would be a noun an old man, an elder. And so an old man, an elder would be presbus. That's the noun. But here it's presbuteros, the adjective. It's the comparative degree of that pertaining to being relatively advanced in age, older, old, Arton Gingrich says. Arton Gingrich also says, though, that you can compare it to the Latin senator and understand it's in reference to an official, an elder, a presbyter. Now, I want us to pause there and understand that every time presbyteros is mentioned does not mean it's speaking about the office of the eldership. It's not necessarily speaking about a man who holds this position of authority in a local church. The context must determine. It may just be simply describing the man as older. He may not even fit the qualifications of an elder, but he's described as presbyteros because he's older. And so the context would have to determine. And that's why we see in Acts 20 and 1 Peter 5, all of these words map together to show it's referring to the office of overseer and the office of a pastor or a shepherd. 
And so with that understanding that it may have an official sense, a senior, a, a senator is where that comes from. One who is older, an elder, one who is older in an official sense, though. In 1 Timothy 4 and verse 14, the Apostle Paul told Timothy, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by the prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. And so that's a noun, and it's a collective concept with more than one man who is older, but is referencing the administrative group, Arton Gingrich says, concerned with the interest of a specific community. It is that group of men that has met the qualifications of this office and has been appointed to the work. It is also used in Acts 22 and verse 5 when Paul alludes to the council of the elders in the Jewish sense. And so the context would determine whether it's referring to the official sense or simply an older individual. In Titus chapter 1 and in verse 5, you see that he sought Titus to appoint elders in every city. But then in verse 7, he says, For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, so on and so forth. And so elders in the official sense, not just describing an older man, but using it in that official sense, the administrative group, this this uh, member of an administrative group, this this person who holds that office, of authority is a bishop. Elders and bishops are the same thing, which is meaning overseer. And so they have authority. I want us to notice in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Elders rule. And in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, we'll see that as well. Obey those who rule over you. And so they do have authority. They have authority, though, not just by virtue of their age, but by virtue of them being in that office of oversight and meeting those qualifications. Such a position requires age. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 6, we'll see a qualification is that they're not to be a novice. You cannot be a new convert. You can be a new convert and be an older man, but you cannot be a new convert and be an elder. You certainly cannot be young in the faith. You can't be young in the flesh either. In order for them to reach the qualification to not be a novice, they would have to be one with experience, an older man in the faith. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and in verse 3, that's supposed to be not 4. Verse 3 of 1 Peter chapter 5, Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Because they have age and experience, they're able to serve as an example, Hebrews 13 and verse 7 says, Whose faith follow. They are men who have proven their faith, who are older, have experience, and are worthy of imitation as they imitate Christ, of course, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1. We need to realize, too, though, that older is a relative term. I'm older than some people, but I would not be considered an elder. And so some of the qualifications help us understand what that relative term might be considering. You have to have grown children who have obeyed the gospel. We'll see that in the third hour. And so some of those qualifications take care of some of the relativity of such a term, but they are older men. Secondly, elders, as we've noticed, are bishops or overseers. It is the Greek word episkopos. It is a noun. It's not just an adjective of description but it is certainly 
a, 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 a title for the eldership. Literally, Vine says that it means an overseer from epi over in scapeo to look or to watch. Art Gingrich says this, it is one who has the responsibility of safeguarding or seeing to it that something is done in the correct way, a guardian. That makes us understand from 1 Peter 2 and verse 25 when the term is used to describe Jesus who is the Christ. For you were like sheep going astray, Peter says, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And I think that the function of an overseer is better understood in that context because they were going astray. They were off the path. They didn't have accountability. Then they came back to the accountability of the one who superintends, who oversees them and makes sure that they are going in the proper way. Martin Gingrich goes on to describe that the term was taken over in Christian communities in reference to one who served as overseer or supervisor with special interest in guarding the apostolic tradition. I want us to emphasize that last bit. With special interest in guarding the apostolic tradition. They have authority, but their authority is to make sure a local congregation is holding fast the pattern of sound words. They are guarding the apostolic tradition. You remember in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15, the Apostle Paul says, Hold fast the traditions you are taught, whether by word or our epistle. And he'd go on to say in chapter 3, If anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, to withdraw from him, to discipline him. It is the elders' responsibility to oversee this flock and to make sure that everyone is following Scripture faithfully. To this end, Strong defines it as a superintendent. They, they are super, they are over, they have authority, and they tend to and see the flock among them, the people among them, the Christians among them. Thayer says that it means an overseer, a man charged with the duty of seeing that things to be done by others are done rightly. Any curator, guardian, or superintendent he says the superintendent, elder, or overseer of a Christian church. As we've emphasized with this title, it means ruling authority. That's important. Don't let anyone convince you, don't convince yourself that elders are figureheads, that they don't really have authority, that they're just kind of there as a symbolic representation of structure and authority, but really they have no more authority than the member sitting next to you. They have authority. I want us to notice that in 1 Peter 5 and verse 2. Firstly, he says that they must not serve by compulsion, but willingly. But he notices there, not by for dishonest gain, but eagerly. And then, nor as words over those entrusted, but being examples to the flock. But you remember, he said in verse 2, serving as overseers. You've got authority. Now, some will suggest by verse 3 that their authority is really just in their example that they provide. They can't command. They can't dictate. They can't enforce. They just Their authority is simply as an example. That's not what he's saying there. And so we need to understand the contrast between lording it over the flock and being examples. Being lords over the flock is a Greek word which means to lord against, to control, to subjugate. The analytical lexicon of the Greek New Testament says of exercising dominion for one's own advantage to lord it over, to rule over, to domineer over. You remember in Acts chapter 19 that the Apostle Paul was casting out demons and 
some phony Jewish exorcists tried to cast out a demon, and it overpowered them. That's the same word. To overpower, to dominate another, to domineer over another. It's also used in Matthew 20 and verses 25. Remember James and John, the sons of thunder, who, whose mother asked that they would sit on the right hand and left hand of Jesus. And he said, you don't know what you ask for. And then the other apostles got upset about that. They want a position of authority and power. So Jesus said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who exercise great authority over them. That's the same word, lorded over them. And what he's saying is that they take advantage of their position to serve themselves. They make it hard on the people and they, they dominate so that they can receive some benefit from their authority. But I want us to notice what Jesus would go on to say about the apostles' authority that they would indeed possess. In verse 26 of Matthew 20, he says, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And so they have authority, but that authority is expressed and given for the service of others. That's what an elder is. They have authority, and we need to obey them. But their authority is not to be used for their own benefit. It's not to be abused in dominating the congregation, but is used in service. It's like a a father or a mother to a child. They have authority over that child. But they're not dominating the child. They are serving the child. Very similar things. In fact, those lords of the Gentiles, the rulers of the as Romans 13 says, and as, as Jesus said to Pilate in John 19, 11, the only reason they have authority is because God has given it to them. They have authority. That's not being questioned. They're abusing it. And the authority of the government is to minister to you for good. And so it is here, not to lord it over the flock. But what that is not saying is that they have no authority. It's saying that they are not to abuse their authority. A good example to go and study yourself in your own time is in 3 John 9-10, through 10, a diatrophes who may have been in a position of leadership like an elder who dominated those brethren. Wouldn't even let them receive an apostle or his companions. They were in it for their own good. They loved the preeminence. That certainly is not what an elder is, but they have authority. Hebrews 13 and in verse 17 tells us, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls. They have oversight and we're going to have to just uh, skip through this in a very quick way, but they adhere to the pattern, make sure we're adhering to the pattern. They make sure worship is decent and in order, First Corinthians 14, 40. They make sure that all things are done for edification, that it is indeed scriptural and therefore edifying. They make sure that the members are faithful. And when the members are not faithful, they administer discipline. They warn the unruly. They they aid the weak. They're patient with all, but they make sure people are following the will of God. And when there is a rebellious spirit and a stubbornness within one who is not willing to repent, they are to have the character to administer church discipline and to seek to save that soul and protect the rest of the flock. And lastly, as we have elders and bishops and overseers, there is the word pastor or shepherd. Poimen is the Greek word. A shepherd, literally or figuratively in this sense. Thayer explains, a herdsman, especially a shepherd. Metaphorically, the presiding officer, manager, director of any assembly, so of Christ as the head of the church, and then of the overseers of the Christian assemblies, Arten Gingrich says that the word means one who herds sheep, one who serves as guardian 
or leader. And so they are the shepherds of the flock in a figurative, metaphorical way. There is a verb that is used for this, poimano. It means to tend as a shepherd, figuratively a supervisor. Metaphorically, uh, the lexicon of the Greek New Testament says, of administrative and protective activity in relation to a community of believers, a guide, care for, look out with emphasis on the governing aspects of administrative rule. Thayer says to feed, to tend a flock, to keep sheep, to rule, govern, to furnish pasture for food, to supply the requisites for the soul's need. And so there's still the idea of authority and oversight, just like a shepherd has authority over his sheep and keeps them in line. There it is with the shepherd. But it adds for us the tender and watchful care and provision and protection of one who loves the sheep. That's important. Shepherds have that tenderness. Shepherds have the ability to have compassion and to truly care about the members and look out for their well-being. In Ephesians 4 then, and in verse 11, one of the gifts left for the edification of the church is pastors or poiment, shepherds. And I want us to notice that it's for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ, till we come to a unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or mature man, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so providing food, providing nourishment spiritually for the flock. And then notice verse 14, the protective aspect of it, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with everyone and, and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. We see more of that in Acts the 20th chapter when the Apostle Paul calls the Ephesian elders and gives them some last exhortations as he's about to depart from them and see them no more. He says, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd, protect, to guard, to feed, to provide for the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For that, that means this is the reason I'm telling you to do this. There's a very important reason that you're to shepherd them, to oversee them. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch. Remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone, night and day with tears. Paul had said before that, that he had not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God to them. So they were learned men. They knew the scriptures. They were proven to know the Scriptures, to be able to teach the Scriptures, to be able to, to defeat error and arguments. And he was telling them, you put that to practice. You make sure that you don't stand for error, that you defeat error, that you protect these members from things that would kill their souls. And then lastly, to that very end, in Titus 1 and in verse 9, he tells Titus that they must... The elders, that is, the bishops, must hold fast the faithful word as he has been taught. Here's the reason why they're to be qualified in that way. That he may be able, by sound doctrine, able, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. And he goes on to explain. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped. That's important. They must be stopped. There must not be toleration. There must not be a blind eye turned. They must be stopped. Why? They subvert whole households teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. 
This testimony is true, verse 13, that Cretans are liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. As a shepherd would see a wolf and would be willing in his love for the sheep and that character that expresses that love to lay down his life for the sheep will put himself in that conflict, in that battle, and defend those sheep. That's a shepherd. And that's why we need them. Remember what Jesus said in John 10 and verse 11 of himself. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, the one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. A shepherd is one who knows the flock, cares for the flock, loves the flock, and loves God's word even more to the degree that he is willing to protect the flock from those dangers. We'll pick up with this study, Lord willing, in the third hour. But I want to stress what I think I stressed at the very beginning. That given the importance of the work and the great need for it, being palpable by an honest heart in studying the Scripture, and demonstrable in the will of God, we need to be serious about this. We need to be prayerful about this. We need to be studious about this. And leave no stone left unturned. I'm not saying raise up trouble or anything, but it is important that qualified men are appointed. But with that being said, the importance uh, or appointment of elders due to the presence of qualified men should be an occasion for joy, for thanksgiving to God, to rejoice together that we can move forward in a positive direction with God's will in our minds, that this congregation would be stronger than it was before the appointment of another man as an elder. And so it's not time for your opinions or your judgment based on your own or for getting on a soapbox and causing strife and envy and contention and bitterness. This is a call to unity in the spirit and to lift up the hands of men who are simply seeking to glorify God and Christ and to serve these souls here so we can all get to heaven. It is a positive thing. And we need to make sure that we're approaching it in that way. Before we dismiss to our classes, we'll be led in a word of closing prayer.